Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Grim and Bloody Podcast. This show is a presentation of horror, thriller, and suspense, and is intended for mature audience. Join us at your own risk. Welcome to the Grim and Bloody Podcast. Uh, I'm Kevin Nicholson. The Grim and Bloody Podcast is brought to you by those folks at Inktip. And uh, we are joined here today on a very special Grim and Bloody Podcast with the renowned uh, director of Mask of the Devil, a retro 80s horror throwback that is a great deal of fun. Mr. Richard Roundtree, not the actor, the uh, the director. I know you folks will want us to you know play the the Isaac Hayes pulsating you know theme song and uh, and so forth, but it's not uh, not that actor. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this rich, director Richard Roundtree, uh, Richard, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Oh no worries. Uh, you know we just. I saw um, Mask of the Devil. I knew we just we had to have you on because you <laughs> you very much fit into that '80s um, that '80s horror vibe that we have a lot here. Joining me uh, as uh, as usual, I'm well. I'm sitting in as host uh, as as co-host. Um, Anthony Durand is uh, is not here, is unavailable, and Joe Flynn is uh, unavailable. But with me is the Creature Features Award and went. Uh, I'll say award-winning. The creature. Yeah, award-winning. Yeah, go with that. Sure. I'll say award-winning, um, multi-hyphenate, Oscar-winning. No, <laughs> Oscar-winning. Uh, I'll just say he's just an all-around legendary. Al Omega uh, of the Creature Features show. How you doing, Al? Hey, I'm holding up. Well, that's the last week. <laughs> so let's get right into it. So, what was? Did you have a uh, uh, Richard? Did you have a uh, uh, like a uh, a uh, a bowl session with you? Uh, you know, with your friends and say, we've got to come up with an '80s throwback. You know, retro. Let's just have some fun horror mishmash. Yeah, I think that the let's have fun was definitely a big part of it. So um, we've made uh, two previous features and. They're both pretty serious, and the first one is kind of a, a almost two-hour-long folk horror movie that's very kind of slow burn and you know not a lot of gore. And um, uh, the, essentially, the idea for Mask of the Devil came from the when we were uh, our first movie, Dogged. When we were putting that out there, you know, uh, we were speaking to distributors, and they were saying, "Well, you know, it's kind of it's a bit long, and um, you know, it needs to be about ninety minutes." And we spoke to a couple of big festivals who kind of wanted it but said oh can you cut it down to 90 minutes and we were like okay this is this is weird anyway you know we kind of hadn't realized there was you know such specific uh notions of what was you know saleable um with with indie horror and then our second movie was a kind of a gritty sort of home invasion social commentary movie uh which was 72 minutes and then we were told it's not it's not long enough it's not long enough so we we started kind of you know, thinking about what it was that a lot of these distributors were putting out in terms of indie horror. And they all seem to be these kind of 85, 90 minute um, 
you know, very formulaic kind of horror movies. And that was some, you know, we wanted to achieve the kind of popularity, but didn't want to compromise kind of our ideals in terms of, you know, the script and how we make films and what have you. So we, we tried to think about, you know, what it was that we loved about horror, uh, you know, as a younger men, because, you know, the majority of us are men and, and what it was that we'd like to see um, uh, that kind of, keeps the formulaic element that distributors would be happy with but also uh enables us to to you know put out a movie that's a bit different and and something that people aren't necessarily expecting um uh, and so yeah the i think somebody at one point had said somebody in our art department had said you know oh, you know we should make a movie that's set on a film set uh, because it would be a lot easier for us when we're building the sets and we wouldn't have to worry about continuity and all of this sort of thing. And it's the complete opposite. We found out, you know, when you, you know, you, because people just pick things up, people pick props up and they move them around and they pick up the boom and they move it around. And so it actually ends up being a lot harder work than, you know, going the other way and shooting on location or building uh, proper sets as it were. Um, but yeah, so we, yeah, we just wanted to have fun with, with it and, and kind of produce something that, you know, we know that as kind of you know horror fans ourselves would like to see you know i was i got to see some of the previews for it and uh you were going for a horror comedy that's what yeah what we for. and yeah. i'm always one that you know horror comedy works for me just fine I, I was wondering, did you? Was there ever a moment where you said, "Gee, I wonder if we can get a Jim Carrey-esque character to be on set"? I mean, it, rubber face at least, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean that you know, there's a whole load of different um, references all through the films to I saw the, the kind of movies. Yeah, from the you know everything that we love from the 70s and 80s. There's even you know, there's like there's a directly lifted line from Star Wars and. There's lots of little references in the, you know, in the the, the artwork and, you know, the the, the even you know particular uh, shot selections that we did because we wanted to kind of encompass all of that and it's really fun when we've been doing the festival tours to hear people ask, oh, did you mean this? Did you mean this? It's like, yeah, everything in there is meant, right? It's not we're not just throwing this stuff together even though we've got a very low budget. Everybody's really kind of on top of their game and. You know bringing bringing their own nuances to it as well so yeah the, the horror comedy thing was it, you know it, it's a difficult balance in act because you know you you want it to have horrific elements and and for there to be a few scares in there but also you need to make it you know funny and what we found with with some of our previous stuff is that you know the british sense of humor isn't necessarily always appreciated wherever you go in the world i mean in america and canada yes. they get it most of the time but sometimes you know you go to a festival in spain or italy and the things just go completely over their head because they're having to translate it and you know they're maybe not familiar with some of the the, the references that you're making but um this this one we tried to make it kind of universal and and i think you know it's been popular in non-english speaking countries at festivals as well so hopefully we've done that we've done that did you have any you talked about doing the horror comedy um i remember john landis saying uh one time that the uh essentially there has to be a balancing act where the the, the uh, uh each has to be in service of the other yeah. uh you know so to speak and he actually mentioned that really horror and comedy come from the same uh uh thing which is 
an emotional reaction to uh you know to a uh uh to event uh to an event it's either you know it's either laugh or you uh or you scream uh did you when you were writing the script for you know for this do you have uh do you have instances where you uh where you think okay i'm writing too much comedy you know right now time to time to insert a uh a horrific moment uh i think it was it was more of a case of kind of working backwards so we you know it was kind of almost written the first draft uh, as as more of a sort of a straight horror and we realized that there were you know because of the setting of it being in the adult film world and what have you there were so many uh opportunities you know to get the comedy in there and and you know as you say kind of the comedy serves you know as long as you're doing the comedy after a scare uh-huh. you know so that the audience can relieve themselves a little bit you don't want to have it obviously in the lead up to a scare because it just sure. dissipates all the tension so sure. it you know yeah i mean there were lots of rewrites i think i think we ended up doing 13 or 14 drafts of the script um uh between matt and i who go right and then you know we we pass it around to the producers and you know inevitably you get producer feedback always uh, so you you try and incorporate some of those notes as well. So I I, I noticed that this is I was doing some research online and it looks like this film is getting quite a bit of play on Amazon, uh, and is uh, seems to be you know the reviews uh, you know coming in are just very positive, uh, you know regarding. <laughs> Anytime you make independent horror, you know, the reviews are, are kind of wayward because, you know, some people go into it with zero expectation and they're really pleasantly surprised. And other people go into it expecting a, you know, a $5 million Blumhouse movie and, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, don't, don't, you know, get, get that from it either because there's no stars, you know, big stars in it. Um, and, and, you know, it's such a, it's a, such a difficult balancing act with any indie horror and, and part of, the, the idea behind the movie was a bit of a response to kind of what you get in terms of reviews and things because you, you know you you all, all the the pna that goes on with distributors they you know they can really you know sell the movie as one thing and if it's not actually that then when people watch it sometimes they you know they get quite vitriolic in their reviews about it and you know there's there's always you know a few but now having done I don't know, 11 or 12 short films and, and three feature films. I'm, I'm kind of at a stage where the public reviews, as it were, I can let them go over my head a little bit. It's the, uh, it's the, the, the kind of professional ones that, you know, you, you, you want to take more seriously. And I'm always, you know, thinking, well, you know, if, if, uh, criticism is constructive, then it's, it's brilliant when, when people just, you know, go after somebody and say, oh, you know, the editing's really bad or the cinematography is really bad. I think it's completely unnecessary. Um, but yeah, we've, we've been lucky with this one. I think we've kind of tried to make it so that it was going to appease the, 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 you know, the, the traditional horror audience, you know, which is at one point there's even in the trailer, they say about it, which is kind of white middle income boys aged 14 to 25 with a disposable income, you know, um, uh, which is, you know, the, the, what the distributors see when they're looking for movies to pick up. And hopefully it also plays with people who are, you know, like, like us guys who are familiar with the horror genre and looking for something a little bit different, a little bit more intelligent that can kind of poke fun at itself a little bit. 
that's exactly what uh you know how i look at it because i'm certainly not 14 to 25 yeah. and i certainly don't and have in our hearts in our hearts in our hearts <laughs> as many of them as we have lined up in jars that, that's right yeah i uh i take a look at my heart every every day it's in a jar right here on the <laughs> i often say i have the heart of a child so <laughs> but i i i do uh I do want to say that I thought it was a uh, tremendously fun uh, film, and it does uh, it does mix pretty well the uh, the comedic as well as the uh, uh, the horrific. And uh, I will say that although you don't have uh, you know much in the name cast, uh, you know there's no Bruce Willis showing up here, or there's no you know Tom Sizemore, whoever you could get for you know to do. Uh, uh you know to do this uh type of this level of film but you do have martin Payne, yeah. uh you know showing up and martin is a lot of we've had him on our show and he is okay, a cool. lot of fun he's a lot he of fun is, yeah and uh yeah. he gets a role kind of the two on uh here and uh that is uh talk about uh the cast a little bit and talk about how martin uh you know was uh on the set yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's got such a great role in there. And I think, you know, a few people have kind of really mentioned it is he's one of those characters where, you know, he you're, you're meant to hate him from the off, right? Like he's just so obnoxious. And um, part of the, the fun of the movie was we tried to write everybody's deaths in a way that was related to their job in uh -huh. the adult film industry. <laughs> and uh, so he he's the sound man who doesn't hear, you know, the car coming and hit him um so you know that yeah we tried to, to have a bit of irony with all of that but he was really he was really good fun and we he, i like working with actors um and i you know i i enjoy the process of, of you know casting as well because you know obviously you know when you've got something written on a, a flat 2d page you, you know you 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 envisage the character in a certain way and so we not not quite open auditions but you know we we ask people to send self tapes in as a, a in the first instance and then we get people in um and see how they work with each other you know have a general kind of chat with them about what their expectations are you know what their commitment level will be you know not just for the shooting but for festival attendance and all that sort of thing and martin's such a big horror fan and he's you know he's so well known on the circuit and he's done so many films um uh that when he he sent us a self tape, I was like, I don't need to meet you because I've seen you at these things before. You know, I know that you know you're you're going to go all in, and it was you know it was a fun role, and you know he's he goes really into it. You know, he was bringing his own props in, and you know things like this. You know, he he wanted to really enhance the character, um, so that was fun. And then you know he's obviously very experienced. At the other end of the scale, we have Nicole who plays the lead, Mary um in the film and it was it was kind of her first big leading role in a feature um and and Normal she was on that girl. yeah <laughs> she she was fantastic though you know she and she's been great you know all through the, the publicity and stuff as well she's um you know she 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 came to it and she's also a big horror fan and she she'd won a thing called scare scotland uh, which is like a, a thing going on up north of the border and she's she really knows her stuff and and it's obviously it's a big thing because being such a big horror fan myself a lot of what i'm doing with the actors is talking to them uh, about references from other films you know look i want you know do you remember this scene and do you remember this in this movie and 
you know, can we can we kind of try and replicate something to do with that, even with my cinematographer as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, having people who, you know, know the genre inside out and can immediately refer to, to things like that is really helpful. Um, and we have Greg Smith, uh, who's been in my previous features as well. He has a very small role as uh, Milo, the, the cameraman. Um, and then uh, Emma, who's been in our last movie, plays Kimmy, the production designer. She's another one. And she, I actually uh, went to university with her. And we lived in the same house for three years. So, I, we, you know, we're kind of on the same wavelength as well. Um, and yeah, I think everybody was just fantastic. Ryan as well. And, and of course, Alex, who plays the killer, you know, he, he kind of came to it and it was, you know, he was a bit like, well, you know, what, what am I going to have to do? But, he, you know, he's a martial artist and he had the physical movement. So even though, you know, you don't see a lot of face acting with him, he, you know, he was very good at the, the kind of physical cues and over-exaggerating all of the movements, which we needed for when we were doing the visual effects so that we could make him have this kind of staccato movement as he came in and out. And uh, and Kemi as well, we play Celestine. She had a, a you know a small role, but it was kind of her first big role, and and it was kind of kind of quite a funny experience with her because she's she's from a very religious family, and uh, she uh, she actually said to us one day after we'd finished shooting, she was like, you know, when I finish working with you guys, I have to go home and pray for an hour. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it was just a pleasure to work with them all. You know, it was fun to do a bit of workshop, and we don't obviously because of the the budget budget limitations we don't get a lot of chance to spend hours and hours doing rehearsals but you know as an ensemble cast i think they work really well and because we, we started shooting during the the lockdown um and it was difficult because our insurers uh were had a stipulation in place for kind of the first four or five months of when we wanted to shoot that we could only have two actors with a mask off at any one time so we had to shoot everything we had to change the schedule and shoot everything that was just the two people in a scene uh, and then wait until the restrictions had been lifted so that we could do the kind of ensemble stuff and obviously that put you know pressure on it you know because you know we needed to get it done on time and we needed to get it done on money but um uh, that everybody was kind of you know everybody gone well some of them all worked together before so yeah no they're, they're just a lot of fun to be around and i think they think that uh, i'm as crazy as they are so it works you know, i had to ask um all right so you've come with this idea you're going to make a horror comedy it's going to be a behind the scenes sort of thing when did porn come into the question so i think um it was kind of the you know the fact that, that we, had to have in the question at yeah. all <laughs> well you know we, i think when we were talking about the kind of 80s style that we wanted you know obviously you know all all the way through horror but particularly in the 80s kind of you know sex and horror was so intrinsically linked uh that it felt like a kind of a natural progression now the the, the twist on that was that yes we wanted to do that but also we didn't want to have any payoff for it because we actually felt like it was unnecessary so we didn't want to ever have you know people have said to me like oh how can you make a movie set on a porn set and you know there's no boobs in it and i was like well that's that's the very point of it right it's on a porn set so you're expecting it so i'm not going to give it to you so yeah that was uh <laughs> that was kind like of, the uh, end card after the credits or something yeah, yeah that, that was just me playing with the audience a bit and saying look yeah you know you need to look a bit a little bit deeper uh beyond the surface of this movie to, to kind of understand what's going on what and you did talk about uh I, I was amused by you know how you mentioned that you wanted to make sure the deaths um were somehow related to the profession that the uh 
uh, person was doing. And I, I kept thinking, okay, this is a porn shoot. Where is the death by dildo? Uh, you yeah, know, that uh, you're gonna that you can that you can see after party massacre. <laughs> I, so, that, I mean, that, that came from uh, the fact that I think you know when, when I was kind of first starting out, people said to me, "Oh, you know, if you're gonna make a horror movie, you need to make sure there's always one death that nobody's ever seen before." Yeah, and so I was like, "Well, okay, you know, I think in our last one we had a guy fell into a, a vat of acid." Um, and kind of comes out of it kind of half, you know, liquidized. And so that was the one for that. And uh, in the in the, the first movie, we'd had uh, somebody having their heart cut out while they were being on a sacrificial table, which I'd never seen before. And with this one, it was kind of like, well, you know, yeah, like you say, you know, you've got to have something relating to, you know, a big phallus, you know, in there and you know so yeah we ended up with that and it was it was it was great fun you know the art department making these these props and things you know with obviously getting these big dildos and they're buying them straight from china uh, because they're cheaper and then cutting sections out and putting armature wire in and then poor uh ken who plays uh Roosh, uh they they came to fit it on the day and he was like look he said i'm really sorry he's like it, it's just too much girth i can't get it all in my mouth and uh, one of the actresses called out, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can imagine the prop master, uh, you know, having a story of, uh, you know, where, where his spouse says, you know, honey, what are you, you know, what are you doing? I'm online looking for dildos. There is this amazing story that comes out of it. So when you buy these things direct from China, rather than, you know, off the shelf here, uh, they come. They are obviously, you know, three, four months down the line. But they're they're wrapped in in uh, paper that comes, and you can clearly see what they are. And so the the mailman comes to the door of, of Mel, and he has like this big bag. He's like one, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was glad she didn't get them sent to my house. <laughs> you know that brings a. Into, uh, to mind uh, a film that uh, also featured porn. I don't know if you saw Ty West uh, X. I haven't seen it yet, but one of my friends worked on it, so yeah, I need to oh, get nice. onto it. Yeah, it was. Um, as I it kind of, I saw the trailer, and it gave me a little bit of vibes of that. But uh, I'm more intrigued with um, uh, films that are coming out today that are harkening back to the '80s, especially um, not just the quality of the film, but the quality of script. Because there, there was something um, uh, imaginative and fascinating when you go back to the 80s. Like, when we were all watching movies on VHS, there was so much information lost uh, on, on the tape, right? There's shadows just concealed so much. It was almost yeah. like reading a book where uh, the author would give you just enough that your imagination uh, fills in the rest. That's how VHS was to me. Was yeah. you only saw enough on the tape, your mind started filling in the blanks. And um, the best example I come to think of is James Cameron's Alien, or Aliens. Oh my god! Um, on this VHS, so that movie was scary as hell. But you yeah, because it, it's so dark. It, yeah, it, you watch it in 1080, right? On a remastered Blu-ray, you can see the edges everywhere, right? It's like it, it, it takes away from the mystique. So I think with horror. Um, giving them just enough on the screen allows them your imagination to to activate kick in the drive and 
suddenly you don't know what else is around the, the people who are on the screen. And I, I think that's just an intriguing element. And I love movies um, that are going back there and just saying, you know, I want to recreate that that feeling, that aura of watching a movie and you don't quite get everything. And we're going to force your brain to actually you know, fill in the blanks. So, so kudos to you for going in that direction. I think this movie, it, it, it just fits that bill. Thank you very much. It's funny, actually, I had the same conversation about Alien this week because they. I went on Wednesday night. I went to see a double bill of Alien and Aliens for Alien Day at the at the movie theater, and they. I'd never seen oh, either. Oh, that would lovely. I'd never seen them on a big screen, and exactly like you say, my VHS copy of Alien or my cousin's VHS copy of Alien was so dark. The whole stuff with the space jockey, like you could kind of just about make stuff out. And then when you see it on the big screen now, you're like, oh my God, like there's so much going on. But also, it, it I think it helps because it plays into the low budget when you can't see stuff, right? Because I was looking at some of the sets and you're like, okay, I, obviously, you know, you have to make allowances for the fact that they're a bit dated. But also you're like, oh, actually, this doesn't look great over here. And this doesn't look great over here. Whereas, you know, the darker and the grimier you can keep it you can get away with a lot more and and that was certainly something that we you know we always play with but particularly with this movie because yeah you know you've got budgetary constraints right and you have to make the most of them you know make it make an emphasis of them and that's always funny for me to hear that because of course I, kevin and i are the the older two in this conversation and we can remember the old hammer films with the traditional we don't have money for a backdrop or a set so there'd just be something back to these three streets of light diagonally going through it and that was your backdrop because yeah. it literally it was it, film noir is code for i didn't have money for sets yeah set <laughs> actually yeah absolutely and what you looked what you what you had was you had to have a an amazing art director who could take the existing set whatever elaborate set that you created for your first big you know uh you know big film your big uh, production and you can reuse it just throw oh, on right. a different a, a different drape a different tapestry move a piece here and there and so forth reuse the same one for your uh for your your lesser your, your next 10 lesser uh, budgeted films that's what hammer yeah. did uh and, that, and it's exactly what we had to do on this as well yeah. so we were really yeah. lucky so uh i've been working on a commercial um for uh kind of not a supermarket, but like a catalog store. And um, they had a load of flats that were plastered that they, they were going to just throw away. And so I, you know, I took receipt of those 45 of those and Mel, uh, our production designer built uh, all of the sets. So everything apart from the antique shop in the movie is a set. And they were all interlinked with the exception of one at the back. And it was literally, as you say, a case of so there's the the living room at the house and uh, Rush's office and the wardrobe, the costume and wardrobe room, and the lobby of the the porn company. They're all exactly the same set, just painted differently or with a window moved. And sometimes they didn't even move the window. Mel just put up a curtain pole and drew the curtains, and we're like, okay, so now this looks different. And you know, just buying different doors off eBay and hanging them. So you know, all of these things you you have to really take advantage of that. And I think. The the, uh, the art department and props budget for this movie was was less than five thousand pounds, and she managed to create all of that. So it was kind of you know really remarkable, and it's actually that's the the, the side of filmmaking that I, I'm really gives me a buzz as well. You know, it's you know the idea of being able to do that kind of Corman esque 
you know, kind of thing where you can just, yeah, make the most out of what you've got. Yeah. So, I was, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead. Go ahead, I, please. I a film set, uh, Veracruz, the million dollar production. And the best part of watching the film, it's a good movie. But the best part of it for me is watching, I'm going, oh, that scene, which is, you know, I know that was inside a building. And that next scene, I know that was actually, you know, two feet away facing the opposite direction. And it was really amazing how they managed to make completely different uh, areas out of the exact same room or just looking the other direction or or something like that. And yeah. it's amazing when people really put their effort into it, what you can accomplish. So yeah, I'm it really looking is. forward to seeing your film now and seeing how you've, I'd like to see some behind the scenes uh, shots or something, <laughs> director's cuts or something where we can <laughs> see how all that was put together. I think most yeah. people would be amazed to see how how much you could squish into one little area. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, unless you're kind of, you know, familiar with how a film set works, you know, you would have no idea with some of these things. And Well, that's the point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I mean, it's testament to everybody involved, you know, in the art department, even Frank, the cinematographer, you know, he'll just change change up the, the lighting, tweak the lighting a little bit. And, you know, suddenly a room becomes something completely different. You know, you got a harsh light in there and suddenly you put some blinds in or something and yeah, you know, it's 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 I, the miracle of filmmaking. Yes, miracles. So, okay. uh, just to explain uh, you know, a, a little bit about our dynamic here is that, um, you know, we have to, you know, we have we have to explain to Anthony what Hammer Films was, and <laughs> we have who, you know, who uh, who Christopher Lee was and who Peter Cushing was. And uh, you know, we haven't even gotten into Boris Karloff, and you know, forget, forget that yeah. he's just a kid, uh, <laughs> you know. But uh, we have introduced him to uh, uh, to a well, we introduced him to uh, the Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires uh, okay. once, and he was like, "This is cool." Uh, <laughs> but he's the young, guy, the young guy in our uh, uh, in our in our group. So you have. Um, like I said, you have more fun, it seems, with this kind of uh, storyline. Uh, let's talk about you did. You have a uh, let's see. You have a Friday the Thirteenth fan film. Is that what I uh, uh, understand that uh, you have working on right now? Or was it not me? Uh, no. Oh, this. No, this is. You had. You said something about this is actually making the circuit, going into of all places, con, uh, regarding uh, regarding. So that's yeah. So mask of the devil with yeah, the sales yeah, agents at yeah. the moment. Yeah. So yeah. we we we're, we're kind of coming to the end of our festival run now. We've been doing festivals since um, sure, sure. Uh, August. August. I think we started. We had our world premiere up at Buffalo Dreams. Right. Um, and uh, we've got, I think we've got a couple more screenings coming up. Uh, we've got one in Spain. Uh, I, I, it's so bad, I'd lose track of them all. But yeah, uh, I, we're playing a Crimson right. Screen as well in South Carolina. Sure. sure. Uh, coming up. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's, it's kind of been a really fun festival circuit. And we, you know, we always try and go to as many of the festivals as we can. But seeing audience reactions in different places is always fun. We, uh, we screened over in Texas. Uh, back in February, and a number of people walked out as soon as the dildo came on the screen. 
<laughs> it was oh. very inter- very interesting to see how different people react all over the place. Now, see, for me, that's the the moment where I go, "Hey, this is getting really interesting. Let's <laughs> let's see where this goes." Penetration, penetration. <laughs> let's. You think people with that many guns were okay with penetration? You know. <laughs> But I, I am uh, I am curious though. You are doing one of the next things you are doing is directing a segment for Video Shop Tales of Terror, which That's is right, another yeah. again another throwback to that late '80s, early '90s where VHS was, you know, was the rage, and where a lot of uh, studios were, you know, were uh, saying, especially well, cable companies, uh, for example, were saying we need material. Yeah. Uh, studios were saying we need material for the home video market for the you know for everybody and so anyone who was an independent director uh, or anything who had a ca- anyone essentially who had a camera and an idea uh, would put something to film and it got a video release. This is kind of a throwback uh, to that, I think. Uh, yeah, for sure. And I think. I- yeah, I think I think the reason we got asked uh, to do our segment was because you know off the back of Mask of the Devil, and they thought that the aesthetic that we'd created was good and that it would fit in with it. And we um, the 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 subtitle for the movie is Tales of Lust and Revenge, and that kind of uh, that's the sort of thing that you know you know I know I can write about. Okay, so I'm like, yeah, we sat down and we we you know we've we've obviously we've got lots of different drafts of of scripts for shorts and features all over the place uh-huh. and we had one that i thought oh you know we can kind of tailor this to fit in a little bit and so it will hopefully be quite a fun one it's called the gory hole uh and uh, oh, it's kind of, see. It's, uh, it, yeah it's a morality tale kind of in the similar vein to mask of the devil so and why did i get that before kevin that's what i want to know <laughs> yeah uh see yeah that uh okay sorry uh low rent porn stars in uh uh in uh, uh in mask of the devil and something called gory hole yeah <laughs> is there kind of a subtext that you're trying to tell us here yeah it's funny i say because you know the first two features we did that was they were so serious and you know we still had a lot of fun making them but uh obviously it's it's a bit of a different experience when you go to a film festival and you're sitting down having to talk about, you know, a, a home invasion social reality movie where the core of it is about how the wealthy take advantage of, of the rest of us. Um, and uh, as opposed to talking, having conversations like this about, you know, fake porn sets and slapping people with dildos and things like that. So it was just kind of, it's a little bit of light relief for us, you know, as we're doing the publicity and what have you. <laughs> Well, you know, you've got those dildos now. You gotta move, use them in your next five productions. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds I, like you're, I, you're working it. I have a garage that is just full of props and filmmaking equipment and costumes and things. And I, I keep saying, oh, you know, I really, I need to get it all out and go through it all because, I, yeah, like you know, like you say, I'm gonna have a big box of dildos in there. And if if something happens Start to me, then my wife has to come and clear out the garage, and she's gonna be like, I don't, I didn't know this guy at all. <laughs> no, she's literally oh, going to tell the person. She's going to tell the person next to her, "Don't ask. Just keep loading yeah. the boxes." <laughs> oh, come on! You can have one of those five-dollar surprise things, you know, five-dollar bag. Don't look at first. <laughs> as long as she doesn't, as long as they don't see the box of like leather collars and uh, uh, and uh, 
you know, what they call those uh, ball gags and well, uh, we things have like that. The there you go. So, yeah, we got those in the last movie and that was, that was I didn't know what they were called. So I, I called up this shop and I was like, um, I'm looking for this thing. Have you ever seen Pulp Fiction? And they were like, oh, do you want a ball gag? <laughs> yeah, how did you know? <laughs> Most asked questions in a porn store. In a yeah. porn <laughs> British edition. That's your next movie right there. Yeah. Just so, thinking, you know, San Francisco edition should be fabulous. Oh, they. <laughs> See? Anthony, you know, the, the films with, with dildos and ball gags might be right, uh, you know, might be right up your alley. I don't, you know, in the horror <laughs> film, you know, uh, that kind of, uh, uh, that kind of thing. Um, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I thought you said baby there for a minute. I'm like, <laughs> So how was... Um, I know that you, with this film, you don't do too much in the way of, uh, well, too much in the way of exteriors uh, and so forth. But I always think uh, that that UK directors uh, and so forth, UK productions have this almost singular decisive benefit of being able to film in these gorgeous locations that may only be 10 minutes away from uh from where they are even if it's just taking your camera out uh and walking for 10 minutes and you find that you can find a location that looks kind of like cornwall you know cornwallian you know kind of thing maybe you know uh, you know certainly old school um did you think you were filming in slough uh did you think that uh was that was there ever an idea? Hey, we could do exteriors here, you know, here and 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 so forth. You kind of keep the action into the studio, uh, yeah. and sets and so forth. Did you ever think about maybe you know opening it up to do some exteriors I, I mean, more? Or I, yeah, I I could have done, and we, you know, our first movie, pretty much all of it is shot outdoors, and um, uh, I think part of the reason why I didn't want to do it on this one and have too many establishers is that. My, my paid job, as it were, is uh, I'm a, a head of department greensman in film. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very aware whenever I watch anything of the greenery, and I was aware that we were gonna be shooting from winter all the way through summer and into the autumn. And so anytime there was gonna be exteriors, I knew that it was gonna be a, a big no-no for me in terms of you know matching up the seasonality of the shots. and. We, we tried to do all of the exteriors over a two-day period that we have got in there. And we, we were shooting in the, the middle of summer and we hadn't thought that one of the previous scenes, we've got an actor in a big coat and now we need to have him outside. And so it was like literally the hottest day of the year. And this guy was out there and he was like, he only had to walk from the car to the, the front of the, the building as it were, but he had this big coat on and it was like every step he was taking there was another bead of sweat coming down the brow like this and, but yeah no it was uh i i i wanted it to be a very interior movie with this one because we i say the, the first one was kind of a lot of it set in the woods um and kind of uh all, all very outdoorsy because it's a folk horror and then the last one we did was kind of you know half and half indoors outdoors and with this one we wanted to be able to completely control all of the light 
um, so that we could shoot at whatever time of day we wanted because obviously when we're you know we're trying to get so many people in and out all the time is you know oh maybe they can come and do six till ten at night or maybe they can come and do you know eight till midday or whatever and so you know by completely controlling the environment it enabled us to be a bit more flexible and do what we wanted when we wanted uh, it also meant that we didn't have to worry about umbrellas and equipment getting wet and you know because obviously the weather is so uh, unpredictable here and uh, so yeah and it meant as well you know on a really purely selfish level what we normally do is you know i've got the van or whatever and at, at the end of the day everybody packs up their equipment into the van i drive the van back to my house I have to unload everything into my house the next morning at four o'clock in the morning i have to load it back into the van drive to the set unload it this was great it was like we had one building that we hired for the whole duration we could just leave everything in there set up it was it was a dream right for me like i know you know obviously if you're if you're a big director you don't have to worry about any of this stuff but you know when you're when everybody's mucking in and you've got a crew of 20 people you know and then you have to think about the logistical aspects of it as well and so you know I, i'm quite happy to go in and out before everybody else and set up the catering and what have you for when they get there but going in two three hours before everybody just to hump the boxes in and out is uh it, it takes its toll after a while that's why you know bigger bigger productions have those underlings that can do uh you know do all of this stuff yeah uh you know for you you <laughs> wanted to be an intern here you go do this <laughs> Listen, well, we yeah. were lucky actually we, we had a couple of kids contact us uh you know and they were like oh you know we know you're making a film in the local area and you know can we come and do a day's work experience or what have you they all they only last one day right like they come down and you ask them to do something like we, we had one guy down and he was really good and he's actually gone to film school in toronto now but we were like look there's there's six pairs of uh, army boots that we just bought uh but they all need aging down to look victorian so Here's a here's a file and can you take all the leather off them and can you scuff up the underneath so they don't look like they're brand new and think so this poor kid was just out in the sun all day messing up these boots you know so yeah there's uh, there's all sorts of uh, fun jobs going on and, and willing helpers all across the board and you know we had i think you know the the uh you'll get it kevin right there the opening shot we did miniatures mm -hmm. and um it's a really fun one right so it's all supposed to be set in the african jungle and so we did we did miniatures and we we've done some tests and the thing that worked best for an overhead shot of the the rainforest was broccoli so uh we ended up we we got two shopping carts full of broccoli from the supermarket and literally cut them all down and had uh toothpicks under the, and then just poking them into this big poly board and so you know people are doing that you know and they're spending five six hours poking broccoli into a board and things like this so everybody mucks in and there's an awful lot of ingenuity going on all the way through it to, to hopefully make it feel like it the, the production was valued at a lot more than than it actually was and yes no discussion of the dildo cleaner <laughs> it's definitely a pa job right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, one of the things that we were told by the insurance company was like, make sure nobody touches the props except the prop master. And of course, you know, you've got a table full of those. Everybody walks past, everybody gives it a wobble or picks it up and flips it. Or you can't, people just can't keep their hands off it. <laughs> Do people look at it like, and maybe start to make the move or like, let's see if I can take this down. Uh, no, 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 better not. Better well, not. We, we didn't have it. That I don't have that problem. 
we had, we had a number of guys with shaved heads and bald guys and there was a suction cup on the end of it so they ended up playing this game with like who can stick it on the forehead for the <laughs> and then go jousting with it yeah. well, right. that, we'll do that in the sequel awesome. <laughs> it's, kind of like, it's kind of playing swords you know <laughs> i'm down for this <laughs> I'll send you a behind the scenes video of that. Thank you. <laughs> oh, hell, you're going to have me come on. Hell, I'll be there. So, what do you, uh, was other than the uh, the video shop tales of uh, segment, what do you have uh, next that's uh, on the horizon? Or do you have any uh, projects that are in uh, early stages? Anything yeah, else? It's, it's, well, we've got. Um, we've got a lot of scripts that we're working on at the moment um obviously it's a, it's difficult because we because we crowdfund our movies it, you know we're very aware that obviously there's a cost of living crisis at the moment and we don't want to be constantly asking people for money the last time we did a, a crowdfunding campaign was during covid and we weren't sure how you know how ethical it was you know quite frankly to ask people for money you know in that kind of situation where people were losing their jobs but I think we hit our target, you know, in, in twice the speed that we ever had before. And so it showed that there was an appetite for it. But um, I am aware, obviously, that I don't want to be, you know, going to the well all the time and asking people to help out with these things. So uh, we've got a few things going on with a few different producers where we're trying to find some private equity. Um, and uh, I've got one script which I've been working quite heavily on with Matt, um, which is the complete opposite is kind of a, an A24-esque kind of psychological horror about a woman with early onset uh, Alzheimer's disease um, being taken into a, uh, a psychiatric unit in hospital and not being quite sure if her psychiatrist is a demon who's trying to manipulate her or if it's all in her mind. So completely the opposite end of uh, what we did with Mask of the Devil in terms of kind of tone and everything else. But, you know, they're, they're, I've got a, a, a kind of a subgenre tick list and I don't really ever want to do the same subgenre more than once. I, you know, I always thought that I would never make a slasher film because I didn't think I could bring anything new to, to it. Um, and then when we kind of hit on the idea of Mask of the Devil, I thought, well, okay, this is going to be a good challenge. I'm going to challenge myself to do this. and make this kind of supernatural slasher movie and and it's it's kind of worked out pretty well so yeah i'm kind of working my way down the subgenre list and uh we'll see where we go i'd love to make a vampire movie at some stage and um uh, i i'd i'd like to do a zombie movie but i think again it's kind of something that's been done so much that i would have to have a really what i consider to be a fresh take on it before i would want to do you know something like a 28 days later where you kind of shake everything up and you know kind of change the genre going forward um i'm not saying obviously my films have got the ability to do that because of the limited budget and audience but in terms of the ideas and what have you um you know i think i think movies that kind of push the boundaries of, of subgenres are few and far between and so when i see one i'm always really happy so that's what i'm always striving to do anyway even if not accomplishing it so as we wrap, uh, where can uh, where can people find you on social uh, media? Do you have a website? Uh... Yeah, the website's under development at the moment, actually. But uh, on social media, I'm on Instagram, which is Richard.Roundtree. And uh, on Twitter, it's at R underscore Roundtree and Facebook as well. All right. Uh, Richard, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us. You've been a fantastic guest. 
and your movie is just incre uh, is just incredibly fun. I do Thank hope you. that uh, it has continued success. As you said, it's going to con. Uh, how many filmmakers can say that? Yeah, not in the festival, but as a screening for the market, you know, I'll take that. There you go. <laughs> but but we don't talk. We don't say that. We just say it's going yeah. to con. You know. Yeah. As far as that goes. But anyway, uh, great success. Much success to you. Thank, Thank you, you for uh, for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Richard. Right. Well, that was Richard Roundtree, uh, director of Mask of the Devil and the upcoming seg uh, segment for the upcoming video shop, Tales of Terror, Lust and Revenge. And uh, we'll uh, update when that, uh, when that gets completed. And uh, so for Anthony Duran, for Al Omega, I'm Kevin Nicholson. We'll thanks for watching and we'll catch you next time. Al, take us out. Watch horror films. Keep America strong. Absolutely.